Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? We'll be the baby of the year. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. Once again, we're recording live from Ben Neeson's basement. It's a special occasion being able to be back in person today. Oh yeah. I am joined by so Ben. Of course, it is his uh, humble abode in his basement. Uh, we're joined by Alex Powell commuting uh, via Skype. And we are also joined by... Uh, first reoccurring guest of the program, other than Ben, uh, we've got Curran Wadley. How are you doing, Curran? I'm doing pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always great to have you on. <laughs> and I know what you're wondering. What is a guest going to do on their second time on if they can't rank their top five movies? Well, we've got that question for you. They're going to rank their top five TV shows of all time. Yeah, so you better buckle in. That one coming. Until that point. Our viewers are idiots. And Alabama looks like they just won the game. They just had an incredible play. Yeah. Yeah, we're so we're recording this while also streaming the Alabama Ole Miss game. So bear with us while we talk about Science of the Lambs, but I say we don't waste any time and get right into it. I so. mean, unless you want to get the full podcast experience. If so, start the game at four fifty in the fourth quarter and watch along with us. <laughs> it's first goal Alabama right now, leading forty nine forty five with four minutes and seven seconds left. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good catch. Oh, the corner just got beat. He's fucking sucks. All right, let's, let's let, we're not talking about football today. We're talking about Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, so Silence of the Lambs, it's a 1991 filmed, uh, film directed by Jonathan Demme. It's currently uh, on Netflix, but it can be found pretty much anywhere uh, to rent or to buy. But it's streaming free on Netflix, of course, with a subscription. It is starring Jodie Foster as the main character Clarence Starling, a young detective anxious and eager to get in. I won't steal too much from, uh, from Ben's synopsis, yeah. while also... Uh, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, the cannibal, being played by Anthony Hopkins, Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine, and Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn. Those are quite a bit of old uh, actors and actresses. So um, outside of that, the film is nominated for quite a bit of awards. What were we going to say, Alex? Sorry. The center in the Alabama game went to snap the ball, and it snapped it too high, and he literally pinned the football against his butt, and then they fumbled it. Okay, that's enough about college football. Yeah, sorry, that does funny. All right, so we have some awards. So, Silence of the Lamb. I've never seen a movie win like all the major awards before. I guess that's why it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So, when the Academy Award for Best Directing, Jonathan Demme, Academy Award for Best Writing, Ted Talley, Jodie Foster won the award for Best Actress in a Leading Role, Anthony Hopkins won the award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, and then they won the Best Picture Award all in 1992. That is wild. It's yeah. a pretty hefty, uh, hefty expectations to live up to. And I'm guessing we're kicking this off with like two of the most famous movies of all time. I don't think uh, Sounds of the Lambs after watching it is really a horror movie. It's more of kind of like a crime suspense thriller. There was a few creepy parts about it. 
Yeah, there's definitely creepy elements to it. But I think as I'm learning more as we review these movies, that even The Shining isn't um, as much of a horror movie as like we're kind of used to. And it's because it doesn't rely on jump scares, which is a lot of what the what the 21st century uh, area of horror relies on. But we'll waste no time getting into Ben's classic synopsis. So we're going to see where he gets this one from today. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it's kind of slipped my mind to write a, um, a unique synopsis for the podcast. So today I'll just be going off of Google. But. Uh, the Silence of the Lambs stars uh, Jodie Foster as Khalees Starling, a top student at the FBI's training academy. Jack Crawford wants Clarice to interview Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist who was also a violent psychopath, serving life behind bars for various acts of murder and cannibalism. Crawford believes that Lecter may have insight into a case that, as Starling, as an attractive young woman, may be able to bait, maybe be able to be the bait to draw him out. Yeah. Cannibalism is bad. You heard it here first. The uh, Turbo Team Podcast does not support cannibalism. As the Turbo yes. Team Podcast, we want to stand out and deny cannibalism and just talk about how awful it is. It's horrible and it, it disgusts me. Yeah. Don't hey, eat people. What are your thoughts on cannibalism? Um, I am going to side with the Turbo Team Podcast here and say that it is bad. Yeah, that is my thoughts on cannibalism. Yep, good good choice uh, fighting that battle with us. Thank you. So, I think we should talk about what we like about this movie, which, obviously, there's a lot to like when it won five of the biggest Academy Awards. The fact that Hannibal Lecter, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, won best male in a leading role even though he only had 15 minutes of screen time just goes to show like how good his performance how was insanely good of his performance it was how good the writing in this movie was i think that like it somehow could have even won like more awards and i don't know like what the votes were but i'm guessing that all these were pretty unanimously like it I wasn't was, close i looked up the best picture nominees and it was a pretty weak uh it was, pro, it was a pretty weak year which is weird because this is one of the greatest movies of all time and then the rest were like i think the sec the second most like notable movie for best picture was beauty and the beast the like animated movie uh can't say i've seen it in the last 12 years yeah, I'm uh, I'm an adult, so I don't watch those anymore. Yeah, you tell them. Yeah, I will. We'll start out. We'll start off with the guest because he's the one who put me onto Silence of the Lambs, uh, back probably a month or two ago, and we're like, yeah, we should just save that for October for the for the spooky month on the Turbo Team podcast. But Kern, what is your favorite part about this movie that makes you want to go and rewatch it? Um. I mean, without a doubt, it's uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, he only has 15 minutes of screen time, but the impact he makes in that short of a time, like, even when he's not on the screen, Hannibal Lecter is always, like, one of the main thoughts in your mind, and he's just such a, like, a, he's such a creepy character, but at the same time, you just don't know how to feel about him because he's aiding Clarice in trying to find Buffalo Bill. So, like, you want to think he's a horrible person, you know, he's a cannibal, but how much, like, the contributions he makes to our protagonist, it just is such, like, 
a clash in your mind about it. And I just love the way that just Hannibal Lecter in this movie is just incredible. The way that his character is portrayed, which like it's in an anti-hero sense where I found myself cheering for him, even though like I saw him just bite off the face of a cop. Yeah, it's because yeah. <laughs> throughout the film he's like super not not friendly, but he's polite to Clarice mm-hmm. and he has insight to try and catch this character, this other serial killer that you see as much more of a threat, or at least up until mid midway through the movie. But I would uh, I would disagree with you guys on this one. I didn't find myself rooting for Hannibal Lecter. I was very like intrigued and I was very uh, engaged every time he was on screen, every time he spoke. But I didn't find myself rooting for him. I thought, you know, he, he's a cannibal. I, I just, I couldn't root for a cannibal. I thought he came off very condescending. I felt he definitely knew he was the smartest in every room he was, and he was just mentally manipulating everyone. Uh, one scene that comes to mind was a scene where they have him in, like, the straight jacket and the face mask, and he's talking to the missing girl's mom. He's, like, talking about, like, like her breasts and stuff like that, and finally they're like, all right, take him away. And then as soon as they take him away, like, gives out the information that he wants to say, like, that they're asking for. Like, he's just playing mind games the whole time. I couldn't find myself rooting for him because I didn't see him as a hero. I just saw him as a villain that thought he was smarter than everyone, you know. But that's just me. Well, that's fair. And I, and I think one thing that the movie did, did so well about, like, even if you didn't completely root for uh, Hannibal Lecter, what they did was they paired up Buffalo Bill with Hannibal Lecter, which of the two Buffalo Bill is easily the least likable. So mm-hmm. it makes you like in your mind, just compare to be like, Oh uh, yeah. Hannibal Lecter eats people's faces off, but at least he's, at least he's polite and at least he's well-spoken and at least he's not like flamboyant and stuff like that. And that's kind of, uh, at least he's not torturing girls in a cave, even if he's biting people's faces off. So I think that's kind of what the movie does where, uh, it utilizes the two villain concept pretty well. You, so you talk about how Hannibal Lecter only has 15 minutes of screen time, and that is true. But they made like five Hannibal movies after this one. Did you guys like realize that? Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I haven't seen them though. I haven't either. They all got. I'm pretty sure they all like weren't very good, or at least they weren't as good as Silence of the Lambs. So while he did have like that, just shows you how. Uh, like how much of an impact he had on viewers was he's only on the screen for 15 minutes out of a two hour movie, but so many people are just so attracted to him that they're like, we can get five more movies out of this before people are tired of it. And it, it worked because I bet they made a ton of money off those, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As far as like movie villains go, Hannibal Lecter is one of the best written because a lot of the time to be able to build up a character, uh, build his backstory, and actually, like, show him in action, show the dialogue, it takes way more than 15 minutes. And the fact that they were able to condense this into 15 minutes of just him on screen through dialogue, like, through meaningful, meaningful dialogue between, like, main characters and through uh, stories and through, like, newspaper clippings and through everything like that, the fact that it only took 15 minutes of screen time to be able to convey one of the most... Uh, well-deserved best performances of all time i think just speaks a ton of credits to a ton of credit to the writing in this movie Mm -hmm. 
Ben, was there anything in specific you liked in this one? Um, I liked a lot of things out of this film. I mean, I don't know if I came across and said this yet, but I really enjoyed this film. Uh, there's lots of different things that stand out, but I think one of them for sure is just the way it portrayed or gave light to women in the professional workplace, especially in workplaces that are primarily um, occupied by men. Like you get that throughout the entire film with, I think it was like one of the early on shots of her um, going up to meet uh, the main psychiatrist. And she's just like going into an elevator and surrounded by like much taller men all wearing like identical identical clothes. Um, there's examples like that uh, with her and talking with the psychiatrist. What was his name again? Crawford. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Crawford. Yeah, when he asks her to leave the room so he can discuss like things with the sheriff and like the other men and how she points out earlier that that matters. Like that's really far gone or not far gone but that's really advanced for something that came out in 1991 yeah i I thought the same i thought the same thing i thought there was good representation of women in kind of very man uh, male dominated fields i thought there was a good representation of uh african americans in this movie too i thought this movie is you know pretty far of it like ahead of its time in that way where it was showcasing more than just you know white like white guys which uh was kind of uh for the times that makes sense. The scene that comes to mind for me is when they were like in the in the cage room with Lecter and all the police come up to uh, come up to Clarence and she's like, all right, guys, move along. Like work's done here. And then they all just kind of like stare at her and laugh. And she's like, OK, like you can go. It, it's just like yeah. one of those small details that kind of shows the. uh I don't know, the weight of women in the workplace and how it women in serious positions like that uh, that aren't exactly strict to to gender roles in society. uh, I'm taking an entire class about that. So trust me, I've had my fair share of discussion about this topic. Okay. (laughs) I was just expanding on a Ben. All right, yeah. But they show that throughout the film easily, uh, utilizing her... Uh, self-sustainability and her intelligence and it's all set up from the first shot when she's running throughout the training course at the beginning of the film this movie shot very well like especially in those like especially in those like training scenes just like the woods and and everything about the movie adds to the layer of horror and i know that we're we're gonna say that this isn't like a traditional horror movie uh, because it doesn't necessarily have the jump scares. Yes, there's creepy elements to it, but it's not exactly what we're used to. It's more told through the story, and it's more told through the writing. And it uh, through the cinematography, especially in Buffalo Bill's Cave, I think that's where like the cinematography, cinematography really like strikes you as terrifying. Oh, yeah, because it was one of the early on shots when they first show his hideout, and mm-hmm. it's just uh, the girl that he kidnapped screaming from within the well. And the camera just winds all the way throughout the entire basement. And it's a very creepy shot, but it's also establishing the scene, well, the climax of the movie when uh, Clarice is blind trying to get through the entire basement. 
it establishes the maze nature of the of the basement and they're setting it up for that perfectly along with exposition and how insane buffalo bill is and i honestly think um with his like cave that's another part that is just super creepy to me like he just got like this giant like cavern in the bottom of that house and then when they finally show like the outside it's just a normal house and i remember when i first watched it just blew me away like because it puts thoughts in your mind that like, like that could actually be true. Like someone could be doing something like that. Because on the outside, it's just a normal house. Yeah. And he's just holding a prisoner down in a big pit in the basement of his house. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy world out there. <laughs> the shots that I really liked was the very, very close-ins of their face. So we especially saw it when Clarice and Hannibal were meeting in like kind of the uh, Hannibal's uh, cell in the basement. It just zooms in on their face. It does it a couple other times. It does it with the girl that was in the well. It does it with Buffalo Bill, too, where it just, like, the zoom in on the face, you can really tell, like, what they're feeling. Like, with Clarice, it was fear. With Buffalo Bill, it was, you know, kind of worry. With uh, the girl in the well, it was fear. Uh, with uh, with uh, Hannibal, it was, like, evil. Like, I, I, like, every time I zoomed in on Hannibal's face, like, it spooked me in, in a way because I like he just had this really really dark creepy you know uh, sinister look in his eyes and his face and I thought I thought those shots with just the zoom in on the character's face were the most telling of any scenes if that makes sense you could because you could just really feel all the emotions at once uh, you know yeah it really showed the control that he was trying to display I don't know if it was this movie or a different. Might have been a different one. Never mind. <laughs> uh, I was trying to, I was trying to think if this movie was the one where the director told him not to blink throughout the entire film. He didn't uh, blink at all. I think that yeah. was something else. Or when it did, it was very purposeful and like enunciated. The, so what I think I remember the most is you don't realize Hannibal hasn't been blinking until like he winks once. Like he winks okay. about halfway through the movie, and there is an emphasis on it and you're like, Oh yeah, that's really important. And then I Googled like, did Hannibal Lecter blink this entire movie? And it shows no, he didn't. There you go. Never mind. Uh, what are we missing? And what, what did you guys think of Clarice's character? I thought she was really well layered for a pretty standard role that we've seen in Hollywood before. Yeah. Like it was, uh, the very smart, um, not down on her luck, just disadvantaged protagonist. Works hard. Who has a, a dark past or easy past. to cheer for. Yeah. I felt like they developed her well through almost like Lecter, where it doesn't really need to show a whole lot of her backstory, talk about a lot of it, just to be able to tell like where she's coming from and why she wants the position. Yeah, because. Oh, sorry, Ben. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, like much like. Um, Lecter, I guess, but we don't know a whole lot about her or backstory necessarily. Um, it's all told in exposition through Crawford, and then when she goes to meet Lecter, he wants to know more about her, and as he asks, asks more personal questions, and throughout the film, we'll learn more about Clarice, as well as much as uh, uh, Hector starts to learn more about her. Or <laughs> Hector? Lecter? <laughs> we'll start to learn more about her. Yo, the villain from Despicable Me? Yeah, the robot from Jimmy Neutron, the video game. <laughs> <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> Only insight on the Turbo Team podcast. 
Yeah. No, but yeah, we learn more about Clarice throughout the film, and the last time she sees Lecter is when she tells him about the lambs, and like that scene's done very well, just acting wise. What do you guys think of uh uh, uh for, b- before I go on uh Ben, what I wanted to build up before I or before I uh, interrupted you was uh we wouldn't get to know Clarice's backstory if it wasn't for Hannibal, you know, like we had those flashbacks, but we still wouldn't know it. It was him that got it out of her, you know, and I think that just shows how manipulative he is and how smart he is yeah. but uh shoot i forgot what I was oh uh what did you guys think of them tying in that like what do you think of the meaning of silence of the lambs and how that uh fits into the movie like what what, what are your feelings on that well the well it's all has to do with the story when she was talking about the lambs that are screaming or like yes. how she woke up as a child and heard the lambs screaming because they were being slaughtered and how she still hears the lamb sometimes when she's sleeping. So, and then Lecter, <laughs> yeah, Lecter, <laughs> that Lecter Hector thing got me mixed up now. Hector. But uh, whenever Lecter, uh, he asked if she still hears the lamb screaming, and she said, "Yeah." And I thought that one thing this movie did really well was the symbolism through mm-hmm. the insects, through the moths, uh, lambs, like everything like that. In the end, like it it all had a big payoff. And I think that's what a huge part of this film is, is little clues set up at the beginning that really pay off at the end, like the moth. Mm -hmm. uh, When Clarice was in Buffalo Bill's house at the end, she was obviously suspicious of the guy, but the second that she was able to see the moth that was put down the throat of a victim, she knew for sure that it was Buffalo Bill. So just little details like that, um, if you're kind of just casually watching the movie, you're not really paying attention, aren't really going to mean as much when the climax of the film rolls around. One, uh, you talk about small little things of symbolism. One, one that I caught on. So when he's in the, like the gymnasium and he's in that big cell cage, uh, you know what I'm talking about that scene and Clarice comes to visit him. She brings the drawings. So Clarice is trying to get out. I, the shot was like every shot, whether you're looking at Hannibal or whether you're looking at, Clarice uh, was through the bars. So if you're looking at Hannibal, it was almost from Clarice's point of view, and the bars were in front of it. In the, in the foreground, he was in the background. And then if you're looking at Clarice from Hannibal's perspective, she was in the background, the bars were in the foreground. I thought kind of, to me, that meant while Hannibal is in like a physical cage, mentally he's not. Because like I said, he, he knows he's smarter than everyone. Just because he's in that cage doesn't mean that he's like feels like a prisoner, if that makes sense. As opposed to Clarice, who isn't in the cage, she's outside, but the but mentally she's 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 like locked in. She knows that Hannibal's like kind of got an upper hand on her intelligently. She feels like she's still try, attempting to run away from her past. She but she's also trying to find this killer that she was tasked to find. So mentally she's in her own little prison, unlike Hannibal, who physically he's in a prison, but mentally he knows he's not. He knows he's gonna get away. He knows he's never going to be you know locked in a jail cell for the rest of his life i thought that was something that i i I thought that's what they were trying to tell uh, with the shots but uh as far as little symbolism scenes go like that's what i really caught on to Kern, did you have a favorite scene in the movie um i think uh i don't know why but i love the end scene with hannibal just because i hated the guy that ran that like psych ward like you know when he calls Clarice and he's on the phone and I just I love the line 
I'm having an old friend for dinner just because of like we know what he means by that. But I just think that I just love that ending scene. Yeah. Showed up late to the to the Donner party, so he got the cold shoulder. Shout out Mr. Halstead. <laughs> Mr. Halstead, baby. Mr. Halstead friend of the program. Yeah. Um, that on that, so that'd be that'd be entertaining. <laughs> while we're on the topic of favorite scenes, I think mine has to be the base or yeah, just the basement scene when the lights go off. The shot of Clarice through Buffalo Bill's night vision goggles is just that's where I do classify it as a horror because something like that is just so freaking terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really know what was going to happen on the first time viewing it because you knew in a movie like this that there were three different main characters and they were all pretty disposable. So I would not have been shocked if Buffalo Bill killed Clarice right there. So that yep. like two and a half minutes of suspense was some of the most suspenseful uh, filmmaking I've ever seen. It almost reminded me of like the Zodiac basement scene, like on that level. It was, yeah. it was freaking crazy, and I thought it was done so well, with literally just the only tool being night vision goggles. Mm-hmm. It was uh, incredible. It, it was a really good scene, but imagining it, imagining them like filming it was like really funny to me for some reason. I don't know why. Just like Clarice, like just like stumbling around like a basement, pretending she can't see. <laughs> like the really bad CGI, uh, or not CGI, but like a night vision goggle effect that cameraman had to use, and then he had like stick his hand out in front. I don't know. It was just funny to me, like imagining him filming that. Yeah, almost looks like Alex's room right now with the with the neon green LED lights. Dude, it's uh, it's Mountain Dew hour, so I had to turn on the green LEDs. <laughs> Alex, did you have a favorite scene? Um. I think the initial okay no nope, I take that back I did have a favorite scene the kind of switcheroo that Hannibal did where he put on the dead guy's face blew it like I I never seen this movie before and I saw that and I was like uh, I was like I was confused and then I was like it, it hit me I was like it was like they shot him in the leg I'm like that was Hannibal in the ambulance and it was uh it was Hannibal busting through so. Uh, <laughs> that, that was my favorite scene I because it, it literally like threw me for a loop I didn't. Like, I was confused, you know, so I, that, I really like that scene. Yeah. Believe it or not, that was like the only thing in that entire movie I predicted. Really? That, it was so it was weird. The yeah. Ambulance. Yeah. I, I felt like from the start when the guy was laying on the floor, I'm like, that's definitely Hannibal Lecter right there. And I was kind of confused how they didn't see that. But then as it went along, I obviously understood. Because <laughs> he, he had looked the guy's more... face over his. <laughs> I didn't know that he exactly had his face over his, but uh, yeah, well, you didn't notice that when he took it off in the ambulance, or well, yeah, I noticed it then. Yeah, I didn't notice it until he took it off in the ambulance. Well, I mean, before that though, they were just—he was just hitting him in the face the entire time, so you assumed it was going to be beaten and bloodied in the first place. And that's why I think it was. I I was just like, I'm pretty sure that's Hannibal. He's just got a bunch of blood over his face, and you can't really tell. Hannibal. But the way they did it was was very creative and very I don't know I wouldn't say cool because he bit a guy's face off but it was cool how they did it interesting I thought it was uh I thought 
I thought he like mutilated his face because he like grabbed that guy's knife, you know, when the guy was trying to crawl away. So I thought he like mutilated his face and like ate it or something. That's why his face was all jumbled up. But yeah, it, it threw me for a loop, definitely. Yeah. And what was your favorite scene? Uh, Alex took it, but I'm gonna say it's not exactly the scene where he takes his face off and reveals that that's how he escaped. It was more just afterwards the policeman realizing that there's been that he's escaped and they're trying to find out what happens just from the scene where they hear the shots and then they see the elevator coming down and they realize that uh, something's wrong to where they find one of the guards like strung up and like torn open and hung from the cage. That scene was disturbing. That entire segment is so tense and I love that whole scene. I almost like that. A segment of Lecter escaping more than the actual scene of Clarice catching Buffalo Bill. That that scene where uh, like they walk in, the guys are strung up with like the flags. That's like disturbed me a lot. Like it that whatever it was, that image of that was burned in my brain. Uh-huh. This but, was probably the second most disturbing film I've seen ever. Really? I put it up there with either Tusk or um, Seven. I think Mid- that those just make me like want to throw up. Midsummer's pretty uh pretty messed up too. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I Midsummer. Yeah. There's a few scenes of Midsummer. Midsummer's there. pretty messed up. Uh, I just watched that the other day. Great movie. Uh, do you guys have any more you want to say, or do you want to get into negatives? I actually have a couple. Um, I say we let the guest just speak his mind openly if he has anything. Oh yeah, current. Yeah, tell us what you think. I guess I was going to add on to that scene you're talking about when he puts the guy's face on him. Like, I think that part is just like perfect for Hannibal because like up until that point, we like we hear stories about him and like people say all these things that he did. And like knowing that, like knowing that before he did that just adds so much to just like the terror created around Hannibal mm-hmm. and like finally seeing him do those things. It's just it. I got chills like the when I when. They, it opened and the guy was strung up on the cage like it was yeah. one of the most terrifying moments in any movie i think <laughs> that we've seen that we've seen yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think that goes back so much to just the building up of the storytelling yeah. i think it almost goes back to kind of what star wars does with like emperor palpatine like, you hear so many stories about, like, what this guy does and how evil he is, but you never actually, like, see him until, like, the last yeah. third of the last movie. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's on a different scale than just one movie, but you don't really see Hannibal do anything blatantly evil until about halfway through where he's able to break out of the prison. So, yeah, I completely agree with that point, Kern, because it just uh, it shows how evil Hannibal is without having to show you anything ahead of time. Yeah. I complete like you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, that's it. All right, yeah. do you guys have anything else? Current Jake Ben? Nope. Um. Oh, I have a few things actually. <laughs> Thanks. I really set myself up for that. Yeah, yeah, you did. Classic Ben. We're about to ready to move on, and Ben's like, "Hey, I have like five things I haven't said yet." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, more. But, yeah, um, I think the directing was fantastic. I mean, you see it with scenes as 
the climax built up to that shot of, like you said, the security guard hanging up there. Or like I mentioned earlier with them setting out the layout for Buffalo Bill's basement. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think they did really well throughout editing and directing was them talking about different elements when they were trying to first profile Buffalo Bill. And then it'll cut to Buffalo Bill doing like the thing that they were exactly talking about. I, <laughs> I don't know if I have any exact examples, but they'd be saying something like... I don't know, this is when he's going to strike next. or And then it uh, cuts were, to the cave. And they were talking about a demographic about him, and then he'd be exercising that demographic or about to be doing something that they were just talking about. And it flows really well by letting us learn more about him and see him going about his kidnappings, as well as them trying to catch up and run into him. Which also leads up to another one of my favorite moments, which is the trope of... Um, the entire SWAT team and like the whole army of good guys getting ready to catch the bad guy finally. But then it turns out that that's actually a false lead. And our main protagonist is all alone with like the antagonist. Like that happens in speed and that happens in some other movies, but that was done really well. And I believe it was done first in this film where they just have Clary's going around doing routine checkups and they're supposed to be raiding the, guy's actual spot and then it turns out those roles are reversed mm-hmm. is that all Anything you had there else, ben? um okay the actor the actor who plays buffalo bill uh, ted levine uh, i don't know if you guys watch monk at all yeah he's a good season monk <laughs> from that and he just plays like i don't know like a sports cop who's bumbling and stuff like that but it's just wild to see him play that straight of a character and then early on in his career just do this insane uh, performance where he's full of these ridiculous mannerisms and plays such a creepy, uh, twisted individual. So I think his performance gives more needs more credit than it gets, I guess. Yeah, the Buffalo Billisms are just yeah. so creepy. The name... The name- <laughs> The name Buffalo Bill is always is also a sick name for a serial killer. Like I don't want to be all millennial thirty year old woman with four cats. Like oh I'm obsessed with serial killers, but like the name <laughs> Buffalo Bill is just like a sick name for a, for a serial killer. I think. Oh, I'm obsessed with serial killers and Brock Elbert. <laughs> what? Elbert. It's a difference because he looks like Ted Bundy. You know. Oh, yeah. Elbert. Elbert. So, <laughs> we jump into negatives. All this right. negative is probably more on me than anything, but I didn't really feel like there were um, there was like an underlying theme with this movie, which is fine. But usually, like once I get done watching a film, like that's one of the things that I try to look for. And for this, I guess maybe outside of like the gender equality, there wasn't really anything transcending that I saw, which is fine. That's just something that I think I noticed when I was thinking about this film. Yeah. Uh, I was the same way after the interview. You're comparing the interview to the, <laughs> to the Lambs? <laughs> Not the same movie. <laughs> you help this podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, now I'm thinking about it, I kind of agree. I, I don't know really what they were trying to achieve uh, plot-wise, other than just tell a good story. Or, I guess, not plot-theme-wise, you know. 
Whatever. Yeah, and that's that's how I saw it. I just kind of saw it as a thriller that was telling a really good story with really good performances. And there yeah. doesn't always need to be a deep underlying tone to the film. That that was just one thing that I noticed that I'd probably consider under more of a negative than anything. Yeah. What negatives did you have, Alex? So I had a couple, uh, a small one. I forgot what other movie I had this negative for. It might have been uh, right Raising Arizona, but uh, just a couple of the like side actors I thought weren't very good. One scene that comes to mind is when uh, Clarice is doing that training exercise at the academy, and she bursts into the room with the other guy, and they're like the hostage, and then the guy like comes and points the gun to her head, and he's like, "You didn't check your blind spot" or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, you didn't check the corners. Yeah. The guy that she was with was a bad actor. Like, his lines weren't believable. And there's, like, a couple times like that, especially in the the uh, the scene where Hannibal breaks out and, like, they, like, puts the guy's face on his, that scene. And some of the cops that had lines weren't very good either, not very believable. So I thought there's a couple, like, bad actors here and there. But none, none of the main characters, just some people with, like, one or two lines. Then another one I had, which is a lot bigger, I didn't think the action was very good, or it wasn't believable to me. Like, the scene where Hannibal's, like, beating the guy with the staff, that was very clearly very fake, you know? And, uh, like, the blood didn't look that real either, and I I just didn't think the the action and, like, gore was very good in this movie. Yes, King, destroy them. (laughs) Cancel Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, take that, Jonathan Demme. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. but those are, that, that's a lot of nitpicky stuff I don't have any big you know things that I found wrong with the movie uh, Ben or Kern you guys got any Um, I guess one thing uh, this is more of like a personal thing but I kind of wish that we could have seen a little bit more of Buffalo Bill like had a little bit more of a backstory he still to me seemed just like very much like a mystery and I don't know if that's what they were going for because I feel like that did kind of add to like his like how ominous he was. But I mean, I would have liked to have a little bit more of a backstory as to like how he got to that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. This is really <laughs> nitpicking, but, uh, but there was like a segment where even like during the opening credits, when she's walking through the FBI headquarters, a guy straight up just looks at the camera <laughs> uh, during it. Like she's passing him and then he looks back and then looks at the camera and then looks back down real quick. <laughs> do you know who? Odd. Do you know who else was known for looking at the camera? Who? Jim Halpert. <laughs> I saw you reaching for the button, so I didn't even want to answer. <laughs> but. <laughs> I was curious that how long it went. It's too long. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. It's not long enough. No, but yeah, there was that and. Dang, what is it? Oh yeah, at the begin, at the very beginning, Kern and I were joking about this when we saw it. But when the guy who comes to Cla- tell Clarice that Crawford wants to see her in her office, as soon as she starts wanting running away, the camera just zooms in on her watching her run away for like two or three seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that shot was was really weird. Although that could have played into like the portrayal of women too. Yeah, still funny. Hot <laughs> yeah. hot take. Nitpicking. Hot take. Women are equal to men. Get off the podcast. You heard it here first on the Get off the podcast. What? But you don't support women equal uh, women's equality. I'll, I'll hit you with a banger here. A I think women are better than men. Oh boy. Oh Whoa. boy. 
Oh. Well, uh, I'll give this film a uh, nine out of ten. I thought it was that good. I, I think it could make an argument. I still need to rewatch it, of course, but I think I could make an argument for this movie in my in my top twenty, top fifteen films of all time. Really? Uh, Hannibal Lecter. I know we're going to touch on this a little in a little bit, just about some of our favorite movie villains, but Hannibal Lecter is one of the most executed, one of the most creative, and just overall one of the best uh, movie villains that I've ever seen. And I think that the story combined with the suspense, at least on the first viewing, is done so well. Yeah. And I will just have to see how it holds up in the future. I think, I think... Ben, what would you rate this? Sorry. Um, <laughs> I completely forgot about another negative, but it was another just quick small one. I just felt like they really glossed over the fact how uh, from the scene where Lecter escaped to where she's back um, investigating in Ohio, how she jumps from discovering that he said covet. So that must mean that they're back in Ohio where one of the victims was found. And then she just goes through and looks and finds all of her ex-boyfriends or things like that. I just feel like they jumped that revelation pretty quick. Another quick small nitpick. But besides that, this film was excellent. Um, it won the big five. I don't know if you brought that up already, Alex. Oh, well, yeah, we did awards. Yeah. But it won uh, best film, best actor, best actress, best screenwriting, um, and best directing for a reason. And yeah. It's a fantastic film, and I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Two 9 out of 10s. We'll go up next to Alex and let the guest go last. All right. So I did really like this movie. I'll definitely watch it again. That being said, I I, I needed more Lecter. Um, 15 minutes. I was going to say 15 minutes is really interesting for his character because I feel like we learned so much about him in those 15 minutes and we know exactly who he is as a person, as a character, as a villain, as a anti-hero in just 15 minutes, which I think is a really great job by the writers and producers and directors of really uh, fleshing out who he is. With that being said, I need more of him. So I'm giving this an 8.75. It's not exactly. I still really liked it, but it's not exactly a nine for me. Uh, not nine for me yet. So. All right, all right, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Curran, bring us home. Um, so I'm gonna join Ben and Jake here. I'm giving it a nine out of ten. Whoa! Um. So yeah, I mean, I just I love this movie. Obviously, I mean, I recommended it. Um, but I just love. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is one of the best movie characters ever, in my opinion. This movie gave us two of the most iconic movie characters ever in Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter. Um, And just the way the story progresses and just how stressed out you are the entire time, it's just a very good movie. Completely agree. Thank you for the insight, uh, Mr. Curran Wadley. So... Of course, we already talked about uh, how Kern's going to share his top five films. But before we get to that, we're on the topic of villains like Hannibal Lecter. Uh, just a little quick roundtable discussion about who is everyone's favorite uh, movie villain of all time. Alex, this was your idea, so I'll give you the go-ahead to start. I already know who's going to say. Wait, I'm interested, Ben. Say it. Anton Chigurh. 
No, I did have him on deck in case I didn't go first, though. So, actually, I, I probably, I'm probably stealing someone's. My favorite movie villain of all time is uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. So, I'll explain why. It's okay. kind of a basic pick. I'm so serious. It's kind of a basic pick. I get that. But I think Heath Ledger's Joker literally did not want anything except to create chaos. He, like, he had no, like, the scene where he grabs the money and then he burns it all. <laughs> he gets the money and then he burns it all. Like, it proves, like, he doesn't want money. He doesn't want power. All he wants to do is create chaos, and he's not afraid of death. And, like, he, the whole movie, he's just trying. What are you guys, what are you guys laughing about, man? <laughs> We make the funny, and you give us the money. <laughs> All you care about is money. <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stranger. <laughs> really going off with these fresh takes, Alex. I want to hear more. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Alex. I think he's really well created. I think Ledger does a great job. I think uh, if I if I want a villain, I don't want a villain that has a specific goal. Like he's not like he's not afraid of death. He literally just wants Batman to like not be who he is like batman's like i don't kill anyone he's like well kill me you coward where's rachel Rachel. so like i just i think he's the most well he's my favorite one of my favorite villains of all time i like every time he steps in a room like he puts the fear in people which i think only Lecter and darth vader do the same and it's just i think he's really well done and i if i i want a villain that just wants to be a villain he just wants to be evil like he doesn't have a goal he just wants to be evil and i think joker does that better than anyone you so. killed those people in the subway, and you're laughing. <laughs> you're laughing. The Joaquin Phoenix is lost in Paris, and you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so much, it's so much better to treat like all the different uh, versions of the Joker as one, and their quotes all just like intertwine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, Heath Ledger's iconic, <laughs> and of course the late Heath Ledger, uh, his performance. Um, I mean, of course, I'm not a doctor or anything, but it's very well estimated or assumed that, like, his performance led to his own death, which obviously is highly unfortunate, but it did lead to one of the greatest villain performances of all time. So I'm just looking for my Jake John Hall to my Heath Ledger. What? Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Aaron, do you have a favorite? I do, um, and I guess since Alex did not take it, I get to use it, but I'm going to go with Javier Bardem as yeah. Anton Chigurh. Such um, a I mean, I had No Country for Old Men as my favorite movie when we did that. Um, I just, yeah. he's so, the way Anton Chigurh is portrayed in that movie, just like his first scene with that air compressor gun, um, it's just like, it, it's like things you would never see, and He's just like it se- almost seems like he's indestructible throughout the entire movie. And he's just one of the most terrifying villains I think I've ever watched. And it's not even like a horror movie. It's just how how driven he is to just get to like do his job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben, you go. All right, mine is it's it's actually going to catch people off guard and it's probably not expected at all. But I'm gonna go with Amy Dunn from Gone Girl, played by what? Rosamund Pike. Okay, you nah. really love that movie, dude. dude. I love that movie. Yeah, I really like that movie. <laughs> she is so good in her performance, and the story behind it is amazing. 
<laughs> What's that, Ben? It was going through a top villains of all time list. <laughs> but so Amy Dunn comes off just just from the projection of the story. She comes off as a victim that was either murdered, kidnapped or whatever. And current, have you seen Gone Girl? I have not. Don't right. spoil it. So I can't get into spoilers then. I don't so, think any of us have seen it. Sorry, Alex, I had you muted. What, what did you say? I don't think any of us have seen it. I've seen it. Oh, uh, Ben and I have seen it. So I won't get into it, but just the most manipulative character of all time. She is amazing. And if you're a listener of the Turbo Team podcast and have seen the movie, I think you know where I'm coming from. Um, my DMs are open to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, but current Alex man. definitely need to see Gone Girl. It's the best Fincher film. <laughs> I just said that to piss Alex off. Did it work? Alex, are you pissed off? What did you say? I said Gone Girl is the best Fincher film, and I don't even think it's close. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't argue that. But Zodiac's really good. He has a new film coming out. Uh, I forgot what it's called though. It's, it's like comes out soon. Yeah, it's about uh the making of. Gosh, whatever. Citizen yeah. Kane. Citizen Kane, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested. I haven't seen Citizen Kane yet. I need to, though. When does it come out? I think it's December. No, I, I think it comes out in November in theaters, December on Netflix. Okay. Okay. It's the same thing. I, yeah. I have to review it. All right. uh, uh, ben. I guess, okay, since I wasn't really able to talk about it that much, uh, never mind. I can't think of anyone better. So, yeah, Ben, go ahead. Joe Pesci from Home Alone 2. I'm surprised. Uh, I was kind of expecting, maybe even Curran to think of this, of uh, John Doe from Seven. He's a very good villain. That's he not mine, though. Up there for me. Yeah, that's a good villain. <laughs> I'm just going through a list because I didn't think about this until we had already started. It's really but, good. <laughs> I came up with mine. You guys chose more, I don't know, thrillers, I guess. Or, um, action you know, movies. Dark Knight the Thriller. Alex. <laughs> Big Marvel superhero guy, Alex. Joker, baby. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, mine, uh, I don't know if you guys had thought of it, but I didn't think about it until just now. But it's for more of a dramatic, uplifting, in a sort of way, film. And my uh, worst Thank film, you. best film of all time, is Warden Norton from Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Give your reasoning. Uh, I mean, he's one of the most like human villains that you've seen or that you can see on screen because it's such not necessarily a relatable issue or a villain antagonist that you'd run across, but it's one that's so despicable given the characters that we've seen and the plights of Andy Dufresne. It's just the fact of how he's exposed exploiting his position as a warden for all of the worst reasons and he's just an awful character <laughs> and the Dufresne with the long life Charles. keep going Do the whole on, I'll be doing the rest of the podcast in my Morgan Freeman voice so what villains are we missing like what iconic villains Darth Vader. I was going through a lot yeah I was going through some I was going to say Darth Vader but that Kind of felt too. Uh, Darth Vader, I think. I wouldn't even say. Darth Vader puts like little fear in everyone. Like it's like almost Voldemort in a way, where oh, the Legend of Voldemort in the Harry Potter franchise, where like don't speak his name because his name like brings fear to people. And I think I think Darth Vader is such a 
good movie villain. He's he's probably my second favorite, honestly, behind the I Joker. think the prequels just kind of make Darth Vader less scary. Um, Nurse Ratched. Nurse Ratched's good, yeah. One Flew Over is actually on Netflix now. I was going to watch that, yeah. Did you guys, have you guys uh, have you seen Ratchet yet, the Netflix uh, short with Sarah Paulson? Oh. It's a prequel to One Who Flew about just Nurse Ratchet. It's supposed to be up to your mouth. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking in general. <laughs> he just be talking. Yeah, I'm just chatting, bro. Yeah, so, I don't know. Uh, movies that. have villains. Uh, Cohen from Fifteen or so villains from Lord of the Rings. What about Agent the... Smith from The Matrix? Mark Wahlberg from Daddy's Home. Mark Wahlberg from Real Life. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue Robert De Niro's character in Cape Fear. Ooh yeah, that's what I just said. I said Max Cady or. Oh yeah, Max Cady. I couldn't. I honestly couldn't think of his name. Just Hannibal, obviously. Well, yeah. Hannibal Lecter's kind of off limits just because we just spent a whole episode on him. Matt Damon Damon and The Departed uh, can be a kind of an interesting discussion about villains. Oh, he's definitely the villain. Well, yeah, Yeah. I know he's the villain, but like we see him from a very humanized perspective as a villain. You know, we get to see like his relationships and stuff, but he's also like this terrible person. So I think I think you can have a very interesting discussion about his character then, especially when like like on the surface it seems like Jack Nicholson's a villain, you know. What about Hitler in World War II movies? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Bill Cosby in The Cosby Show. <laughs> we'll do a best villains of TV episode, and you can say that. So, as, <laughs> as much hate as the sequels get, because they deserve them, and as poorly written as every single character in the sequels is, other than Kylo Ren, Kylo Ren's a freaking sick villain. Yeah. And a lot of it's because of Adam Driver's performance and not because of the actual script itself. I don't know if you can count that then. I'm not going to count it. I'm just going to bring it up just for talking points. I wouldn't count it after Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I don't Shout out Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams because both did terrible. Uh, so I wouldn't speak- shout them out. Enemies of the program. I know it's cringy, but have you guys seen the Adam Driver like undercover boss kids as Kylo Ren on SNL? <laughs> on SNL? Dude. <laughs> Wait, really? He was on SNL? Dude, I'm not even gonna. I'm gonna quit this podcast, man. But anyway, wait, 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 wait. How did we forget Terrence Fletcher, J.K. Simmons, and Whiplash? Oh, that might be my number one. In a weird way, he's kind of a protagonist, honestly. Yeah, I would agree with them. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess at the a little bit. Well, like uh, that was weird though because. He's a dick. Like, he told a kid, he told a fat kid to go eat a quarter pounder in class. Yeah, I've heard worse. I've I've heard people say that. You picked what about oh, uh, the kid from Don Glover's stand up where he said that's why your mom's in a wheelchair. That kid. <laughs> Ooh, top, he's towards the top. <laughs> top stand up special villains. First of the uh, real are we, just, are we just naming every <laughs> villain and now? Yeah, let's just keep going. Louis C.K. Yeah, Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, Free Louis C.K. <laughs> when we said a uh, top villain TV shows, I was gonna say uh, Skip Bayless and Skip and Shannon. <laughs> Dude, Skip Bayless sucks. <laughs> okay, we're getting off topic. Yeah. Uh, I say we reel this in to Kern's top five films and or not films, TV shows, More and wrap this mother sucker up. And because I forgot to do it uh, at the start, just wait. 
Oh, yeah, and also Hans Landa. Wait, what movie is that from? Friend of the program. A film nerd. <laughs> Please join us in welcoming the newest survivor of the Turbo Team podcast. Yeah, we forgot to do that at the start, so we'll do it now. Welcome, Current, to the Turbo Team podcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks for finally giving me a formal welcome 40 minutes in. Uh, I really 58, actually. 58 minutes in. All right. Um, I guess we'll get started with my top TV shows. Start at five. Five. All right. At number five, I got regular show. Um, I just I love this show so much. Like a lot of times I'll just throw it on uh, just kind of if I'm doing homework. Uh, but I, I watched it so much as a kid. And I mean, I probably am biased, but I mean, I feel like everyone kind of is sometimes. But I mean, it's just a very fun show. Um, very light. You, know, you don't have to pay too much attention. Um, see, so I got regular show at five. Uh, number four, I have Atlanta. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I just very recently watched Atlanta, and I mean, it's just a testament to how talented Donald Glover is. Um, it's, I mean, you know, it does a very good job at pointing out flaws in our society, while at the same time being very funny. Um, the Teddy Perkins episode might be the funniest TV episode I've ever seen, and I feel like some of you guys would agree. Funniest? Funny? The episode creeped me out so much. Wait, we should review just the Teddy Perkins episode for done Spooky Movie Crew. Okay, it, it's creepy, but it like he when I when I found out that Teddy Perkins is Donald Glover in whiteface, I that was the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> It does make that episode hilarious. <laughs> and uh, when, um, when, oh, what's uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character? What's Darius. his name? Darius. Darius. When he, when he gets the, the hat with the, um, oh, you mad? Flag on it. And oh yeah. Writes, you mad on it. Yeah, and he also has him look up uh, Sammy Sosa. Oh <laughs> cowboy yes. <hat. laughs> okay, yeah. So there's it's a funny episode. <laughs> all right, so there's Atlanta at number four. Uh, number three, I got Stranger Things. Um, Savage. Kind of a normie show, I know, but it's still very good. Yeah, um, it's all right. It's good. I haven't seen anything more than the first season. Really? Season two and three aren't bad, actually. I really liked I liked the first season. Season two and three get dark. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the first season, but like, I watched all of it on the way to Ethiopian back, and then I just never like moved on after that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's all I need to hear. I think I just like that style of show. It's a show that you can like binge watch. And I like how it's kind of like a glorified movie to where it's all just kind of like like it's has a starting point and there's no time skips or anything. It just goes straight through. And I just like I especially like how it's kind of a darker show now. Um, I think it has been progressively getting better. Um, so, yeah, there's Stranger Things at three. Uh, number two, we have Community. Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. This this show, I mean, I again, I recently just watched this one and um, I think I watched all six seasons in a matter of like a month, maybe. Um, Don't they? But I mean, like most TV shows, it gets off to kind of a slow start. But once they kind of put, you know, get their groups like Troy and Abed um, together and kind of like the sexual tension between Jeff Troy and Abed. Britta. Yeah. <laughs> the sexual tension between Jeff or Troy and Abed. <laughs> um, 
Um, but once they start developing like the relate the interrelationships between the characters, it's so funny. And yeah. I, I mean, every time I go to just turn on like go to Netflix or something, I always want to watch Community unless yeah. I see something that I'm like, oh, I really need to watch that. Yeah, so, it's so hard to not watch Community. Uh, it it it's like I there's yeah, episodes I've watched probably ten times and they're still just as funny as they were the first time. <laughs> Um, and then at number one, I have Breaking Bad. Um, I think this was the first, this was probably one of the first like TV shows that I really got into. Um, I wouldn't really watch TV shows for very much before this. And uh, I just, um, Walter White is one of my favorite TV show characters ever. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll never get the first, the Heisenberg moment. That's just very it's a very cool moment in the show for me. And uh, Jesse Pinkman is also a very good character. They play off of each other very well. Yeah. Um, and uh, the supporting actors in that show too, are just great. Like, I mean, it's just all around one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. And that's why it got my number one spot. Breaking bad is like one of those shows that I wish I could say more about, but it's just been so long since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) Oh, it just you have to take aside the time to rewatch it or something like that. Well, yeah, I don't think I've watched it since like seventh grade. <laughs> I've been watching it in seventh grade. It. Yeah, uh-huh. I watched it with Jack Hoyman. We watched the entire first season in one day. That's odd. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good list uh, for our reoccurring guest, Karen Wadley. I think Breaking Bad came up not in my top five, but as an honorable mention. For that same reason that I just talked about, where I couldn't really talk about it that much. Uh, I was a little shocked to see no Simpsons. Uh, I kind of forgot about the Simpsons. That's okay. You guys gave me, like, no time to come up with my list. Yeah, that's Welcome. fair. Yeah. Blame Ben. What? Send all the complaints to at uh, Ben Neasy on Twitter. I think, DM me I think the Simpsons transcends all lists. It's just, the Simpsons is just great. Speaking of The Simpsons, go listen to episode uh, whatever of the, of the Turbo Team podcast. I think it was like 18 or something. Eh? Well, uh, I do have one more thing. Here's Johnny. Yeah, that's that it. That was last week. Wait, 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 wait. What? Uh, F, I forgot what I was going to say. Was it really important then? It was something really funny that we were all going to laugh hysterically about. Um, you so icy, I'm a glacier boy. You so icy, I'm a glacier boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, what, how do you even come up with that stuff, man? All right, end the episode. This will end it on that. <laughs> yeah, this is the Turbo Team podcast <laughs> listening to, recording live from... Kenwood Avenue? Is that what street you live on, no, Ben? No, don't dox Ben. Brookwood. Don't Ben. Didn't say wood. What house? Yeah. Recording live from the west side of Indianola. I'm your host, Jake Brend, alongside me, Ben and Alex, and we want to thank Curran for coming on once again. He's now hit his limit on uh, how many times he can come on the show. So We'll never be invited back again. He will never be invited back. That does it for us at the Turbo Team Podcast. As always, you can uh, find us on Twitter, follow, interact, and uh, tell us how much we suck. Thank you for listening. Uh-huh.
We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Yeah. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo hey. Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, saying, hey, yeah, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.